This week's a little different. We've created for you a playlist for the kingdom. Listen in and sing along. Dawn Anthony has served in the Charlotte area for years as a teaching artist, author, and performer. She enjoys utilizing music, history, and technology to build bridges and to promote arts immersion in education and unity within the community. Dawn pursues her love for learning and performing through musical collaborations and cultural exchanges like this podcast. This spring, she partnered with her alma mater, Queens University of Charlotte, for Creative Crossroads, an artist-in-residence concert and lecture series about the Harlem Renaissance expressed through music, poetry, dance, and visual art. Dawn recently authored her first children's book entitled The Gift Way Up in the Closet to encourage children to seek and exercise their gifts and talents. She has copies available for purchase at Amazon.com, Park Road Books, the gallery at Friendship Missionary Baptist Church, and through her website, where you can also see her upcoming events and performances. Dawn's website is DawnAnthonySings.com, and you can find her at DawnAnthonySings. I have a heart to help people find their voice, whether that means um, their singing voice, their spoken voice, or what they need to say, or even in recovery mode. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I love the human voice, and so um, everything that I do is um, around music, centered around what you just said, kind of being full-time, piecing those important mm-hmm, pieces mm-hmm. together. So I guess you can say that. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a parent. And a parent and a wife. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. You've talked a little bit about um, my background, um, music, and um, what that looks like in life. It's interesting that um, when we start talking about the common good or the good, it's interesting how that shifts when you become a parent. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it's not so much solely about you anymore. Your sphere gets a bit bigger because then you're, for me, what I do shaped who I was as a parent and my kids' lives. Um, because of my background, uh, being raised by a single mom, um, I had a, I don't know, it was tough coming up. And, um, when I had my own children, I realized the value of them being aware of the world that they were in. And um, it was more important for us to live in a community where it reflected the world around us. And that was a big deal for me with um, where we worshiped, where my kids went to school, and where we lived. And full circle, my family dynamic pretty much looks like that now with my daughters. And because they were able to, sh- to see the complexities of what happened in other people's lives, what was good for one family mm-hmm. <laughs> was not good for another. Mm-hmm. And that activated me to work with, the, with my kids uh, through homeschooling first, then in the private sector back to public, back to private. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were able to see a lot 
around them, the differences, the disparities, and the inequities, and that in turn made them activists. And that was pretty phenomenal. And so good was relative <laughs> um, in our house because they had experiences with friends and family where um, maybe the schooling, maybe it was a language barrier, maybe it was economic barrier, even for us as a family, um, making a decision to to have them go to school to a school where the um, where the level of learning, the percentage of learning, um, was narrow, more narrow, rather than far apart as far as how others learned and how they how um, what's the word I'm looking for. Achievement, the achievement gap, <laughs> where the achievement gap was smaller. And so with the achievement gap being much smaller um, in certain schools, then that meant that the dynamic looked a little different. The population was quite different from what they were used to. And we had to make a sacrifice. And that sacrifice for the girls meant that we had to, to take them to school. Um, the, the plus side is that we had communication going and coming. The downside was that their social life suffered because of the school, because of the kids that they went to school with lived on another side of town. Right. But what that did was that brought them closer together as siblings. And to this day, they're really close. And they're almost four and a half years apart. Oh. But you would think that they were twins because they are together, you know. Um, they've, lived, they've lived the experience of it together. Um, and I, I was, I'm in a musical home. So my husband plays a bit of bass, uh, and I'm a singer, and them having to attend functions, to be a part of functions that we were a part of, and that, um, that planet seeds in them that were, I guess, in their DNA mm -hmm. a bit, so that they became more musical. Um, and so by the nature of our household being diverse, diverse as far as the people that we were with, the cultures that we were around, gave us ears for inclination to other languages, other tales and folk tales and stories and traditions, so that we could be relevant depending on who we were sharing before or sharing with. Mm. And, um, and so what that did was open my ear to music that spoke the plights of other peoples. Now that's different for instrumental musicians, so for me, being a, a singer, it was all about the importance of the lyric mm -hmm. and making sure that it wasn't just a pretty song, but that it said something. Mm -hmm. That was going to resonate, whether that meant it was going to teach something, whether it meant it was going to edify something or someone, um, uh, encourage, or admonish, or exhort. There were so many functions of what this music could do. And, uh, and that, was a, that was a big deal for me and a big deal for my girls mm. that they don't just like surface stuff. I mean, that's all good. Candy's nice to have. <laughs> I like candy. But you need some vegetables. Mm -hmm. You need some nourishment. And, uh, and so sometimes they share with me their music. Oh, mom will like this. Um, so they like smart lyric, which is great. Mm -hmm. that may, it may not be straight ahead. You've got to listen beyond. 
but that's pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah. I'm learning music not only from the heritage of what's what's come behind, but from the millennial point of view of what's happening now, and that's pretty extraordinary. Because yeah. it's in your face a lot of it. Right, and it sounds like so both you and Greg, who are here, <laughs> are both musicians, but in very different ways. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about lyric. Greg plays saxophones. So there's not a whole lot of lyric unless someone knows this. You know, if someone can hum it in their ear while listening to it or if you're singing, obviously, with him. But I wonder, what makes music so powerful? Like, what is it? There's something about music that has the power to do all those things, tell a story, make your heart jump. <laughs> what, what is it that, how is music able to do that? You want to speak to that, and then I'll go to you. Go ahead. <laughs> People may judge this, but that's okay. I can only speak from my point of view. I think that music on the line, apart from speaking, if I were to have a stem, <laughs> like a plant stem, and um, music is down the middle, or spoken word is down the middle, then I think one branch you know, from uh, of that being music on another level of speaking, mm -hmm. s s the sung word, mm -hmm. and then the other side, on the opposite side, the, the spiritual side of the, the prayed, <laughs> mm -hmm. the word of prayer and the word of singing. When you combine the two, um, I think it's a powerful thing. And it's just another level of speaking. And oftentimes, um, I remember being taught by my music teacher who's still living. Uh, I'm, I'm no longer study with her, but because she's living, I still call her my teacher. Um, she would always tell me when I would be so fearful about hitting certain notes and, I can't, I can't, I can't, and it's so uncomfortable and I can't do it. And she would tell me, she said, Dawn, she said, I want singing for you to be another extension of your speaking, that it should be that natural for you, that, um, and so when I'm working with young singers or I'm trying to communicate a song, I want people to hear what I'm saying, but because it's floating on the line of music, they're gonna feel it in, in another way. Beyond just hearing the spoken word, mm -hmm. there's something more that I'm trying to penetrate your body and I'm trying to hit your brain and your heart. Mm. Um, and hopefully by doing that is going to inspire a response. And that's the power of music because that could be a positive thing <laughs> and it could be a negative thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, so um, and so then you start talking about different styles and how that influences an activity. Um, I mean, there's a whole science to that. And I think music is so powerful that if people are not careful, it could even be a manipulating thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a powerful thing, but it, it, you know, depends on the motive that you're coming from. It's that powerful where you can make things happen mm. for your good or not. Right. Yeah. So I think, um, so our bodies are musical and I think that's part of the deep connection, right? So you've got rhythm that goes in your heart mm -hmm. all day. Sometimes it speeds up, but mostly it stays fairly consistent. You know, you, you carry a little drum inside you. Or our voices are naturally musical. Like even people who can't sing, 
who say they can't sing can actually sing, right? You, you use your voice, you use the pitch of your voice to communicate all sorts of things. Uh, even without using words, you can do that. So the fact that our bodies are musical um, means that like we connect very deeply with that. I also think, um, at least what I think I've seen in Enderley Park um, that I didn't see in suburban Raleigh when I, where I grew up, um, you know, I think about the, the cars with the loud radios that drive by, right? And it feels like the whole frame of the car is shaking. And you can feel that in your body, right? The bass is turned up really loud. Um, and I think that there's, there's something to that. There's, there's something to like just the basic sound of a drum that sort of calls back to things that we can't verbalize but that exist in our cultural memories and in the memories of our bodies um, that it's it sort of it feels like calling us back home in some way to feel that happening with a drum or with a, a bass that's turned up really loud um, and, and our bodies continue to remember that sort of thing um, so we dance when we hear that you know you turn on a Stevie Wonder record like you're gonna dance because you can't help it right because that memory's in there somewhere and that memory probably goes back to your ancestors hundreds and hundreds of years before you stuff you'd never be able to verbalize but it's still there hmm. so the poor people's campaign Reverend Dr. Barber came up it seems like he came up with the term but maybe somebody else said about the theomusicologist and every single region of the Poor People's Campaign has an appointed theomusicologist. So does the nation, um, the, like the national level has one as well. And they've appoint, they have determined that there are about four songs that are going to be for the Poor People's Campaign. Like, we're going to sing these songs. And the theomusicologist kind of helps to bring people in that, into those songs by talking about them and why they matter, and then singing them through the songs, and then, according kind of closing up at the end. And I think what you're talking about is another way of speaking to the power. Like, the, the music is so powerful that it can make movements. It can, it can energize movements. It can direct movements. And, uh, and Dr. Barber saw that and said, we need, a, we need to name this and appoint a person to it and acknowledge it as something that's really, really important. And of course the civil rights movement had had theomusicologists. They just didn't have the title yet. So they had folks that were doing that work. So Greg, you mentioned music that calls you home. That's the term that you just said. So what I want y'all to tell me both. I want you to tell me what's one song that when you hear it, it just calls you home. Um Having not been raised in the church, but experiencing the history of a type of singing called hymn singing, um, which is a non-accompanied music, just the human voice, and it doesn't matter the quality of your voice, but the heart that it comes from. Um, there are some metered hymns that are sung, but then there are some songs that need no instrumentation. This one piece that came to mind um, it's not a metered hymn, but it's called I Know I've Been Changed because it has this sense of a longing and, I don't know, it's like a, a stream of joy and melancholy, melancholy all woven into that piece. 
uh, the song's called I Know of Thee. I, I know I've been changed. I know I've been changed. I, I know I've been changed. The angels in Heaven done sign my name. There is a place where that thing sits, man, mm -hmm. that calls you. That if you don't know that place that you've been changed, you want to know about it. Mm -hmm. And you and you're drawn to well for me, I was I'm drawn to that. And it's a very simple text. In fact, that latter part, I know I've been changed, is almost the person, the leader would sing the piece and then the congregation can respond with, I know I've been changed because the angels in heaven have signed my name. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you don't believe I've been redeemed. Follow me down to the, to the Jordan stream. The angels in heaven have signed my name. It's just, it's moving to, mm -hmm. to hear it in a, in a room of people singing that who that song, who that piece resonates with. So. I remember when we first started attending Friendship Missionary Baptist, mm. we'd go to Wednesday night Bible study, and before Pastor Jones would come up to speak, there'd be just some unaccompanied singing. So um, usually they were like standard hymns, right? But sort of sung in a, in a similar style to the hymn singing. There's this one lady, she still goes there, I saw her not too long ago, but she, she just, uh, the first time I heard her sing, um, I knew that, like, whatever it was that she had, I needed some of that. Like, I had to keep coming back just to listen because there was something just in the way that she could sing a song, right, that just spoke to um, this depth of spirituality that was not something I had imagined growing up in Southern Baptist world. Um, and particularly the way that she could, um, she could just find the pitch, just, you know what I mean, like the one that would sort of turn your ear inside out, like she could just, and it, you know, you'd feel it all over just with unaccompanied singing. Um, so when you find somebody that can sing like that, like you, you stick around because there's something good happening in that place. Is there a song that to you calls you home? I mean, I think about hymns as well. Um, and hymns are the first place that we learn theology, um, from the simplest hymns to the most complex ones. And, and we learn it because music aids the memory. You know, so if you um, if you start if you try to say the lyrics to Amazing Grace. You can't just speak them. Like, even if you try to just speak them, you're going to hear them sung internally because there's that deep connection. Um, so I don't know. I, I probably think about some of the um, kind of pietistic hymns of like Fanny Crosby, like um, All the Way My Savior Leads Me, Whom Have I to Fear. You know, I know whatever befalls me, Jesus doeth all things well. Um, so I probably think about some some of those old like late nineteenth century hymns, 
as the ones that probably call me back to my childhood. Uh, today, to, today I might say I might say something a little bit different. I might I might call on some of the the songs in the spirituals tradition. Keep your eyes on the prize, hold on, or something like that. Um, but hymns are the first place that I would think about. Mm-hmm. There's something about having experienced something in childhood that when you hear it calls you home. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the same and different to something that you maybe didn't hear in childhood that still it's, it has there's like a hook. There's something in there that's yours or that that is a part of you. So I think both are true, but that they have, I don't know what, how to say that, they have some kind of, the music has some kind of spirit that almost knows who you are and sort of draws you in and you cannot let go. <laughs> Even if you wanted to, you wouldn't be able to. Well, um, the one thing I wanted, I brought some hymn books. I thought it might be kind of fun to name what are some songs of abundance or um, songs that get us toward everyone being able to flourish. If we had if we had to write a playlist and everybody could listen to the playlist and we knew that by virtue of listening to this playlist there would be power and there would be movement in the direction of everyone being able to flourish and have liberation, what would the songs be? Grab your hymnal here. There's um and it may not even be in here. Again, my ears by the way, I collect hymnals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I collect, I have like, like this. I've never been in this church. Do you have a hymnal? <laughs> I love hymnals. So when I go to bookstores, I look for maybe one that I don't have mm-hmm. um, because I would love to learn the songs or songs from that tradition, from that body and what's come out of that body. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes the songs may be the same, but maybe a stanza may be slightly different. Mm-hmm. And I like to figure out, like, why is that? You know, right. So it's really intriguing to me. So. Uh, if you, um, at some point, when you come to my home, <laughs> you're going to see this one. I have books everywhere. I, I, I love books. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went to this Episcopal church, and I probably, it just came to my mind. It, it was an Episcopal church, and I was asked to sing for a, mon- a Monday Thursday s- service. And it was the first time, me being in this place, and they had communion. I can only give you the melody, certain parts of da 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 dum la di These are the ones. Oh, when I heard that song, I was like, oh my gosh. It's in there for sure. Oh, Yesu, Yesu. That piece was so beautiful. I did not expect to go in this stoic stone, light filled church. <laughs> yeah. And be moved mm, like yes. that. Huh. Like I'm moved when I'm in the midst of people who look like me. Right, right, right. I am brown, black, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that song, I read that that text. Mm-hmm. I had to find it. I don't have my glasses. Can I? Can yeah. you see if I can find it? I just want to speak the mm-hmm. speak the lyric because I think that piece is just so simple. Uniting and so profound, and I said, "This sounds like a global. This sounds like a throne song." Mm-hmm. Yes, you know. Um, it's number six hundred. So the words are, "Yesu, Yesu, fill us with your love. Show us how to serve the neighbors we have from you." 
kneels at the feet of his friends, silently washes their feet, master who acts as a slave to them. Gosh, Almighty, if that's not the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, and there are, looking here, there um, seem to be four st- uh, stanzas that are there. But um, it was just, it just leapt in my heart when I heard it. And um, uh, it was just beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was, it was beautiful. Neighbors, rich and, neighbors are rich and poor, varied in color and race. Neighbors are near and far away. These are the ones we should serve. These are the ones we should love. All these neighbors to us and you. Oh, my gosh. Beautiful text. Mm-hmm. Beautiful text. Yeah. yeah, that would be on the playlist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, had, it was like the way it was sung, very Gregorian in nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. So uh, I'm thinking about... Uh, I'm not thinking about a specific song at the moment. I'm thinking about a book by James Cone, who just died recently, called The Spirituals and the Blues. Hmm. And so Dr. Cone um, was probably, I guess we would say, the founder of uh, liberation theology, and black liberation theology in particular. Um, and so The Spirituals and the Blues is about the the theological depth, um, making plain the theological depth of the spirituals, the, the music of the black church, but also the blues and the, the profound theological implications of the blues. Um, and so, like the, the, I guess the first thing that I think of nowadays uh, is especially the blues musicians who um, who are like um, the psalmists who lament, and who cry out against the injustice of the world, right? But even their cries is sort of an act of faith. Like you don't cry out to a God that you don't think can change things. Um, so the blues are sort of the same thing. They're, you know, you sort of imagine in the, the early development of that music, the guys in the Mississippi Delta and the juke joints sort of like singing their hearts out for the, the, the horrific treatment that they had received for the previous six days, right? But then the image that he makes is that those same folks would have gone to church the next morning to sing spirituals, right? So these things are, are so deeply intertwined together. And um, I, I think about, um, so I think about those, those folks um, and, and that, that tradition of music as something that keeps calling to me that I, I need to listen in on this tradition and I've tried to learn how to play it I'm not a real convincing blues player but um, like it's Dawn coming, you go to your trials you go, it's going to get there <laughs> so for a long time uh, Dawn and, um, and I were playing in this group together and and schools, and we would always do Backwater Blues from Bessie Smith, right, which is about um, her city in Tennessee, it gets flooded, and she's sitting up on a hill, kind of looking down over the town, and sort of crying out this this lament, um, and so it sounds real simple, like if you listen to the old recordings, it sounds very unassuming, but if you start really digging in, there's just so much depth to it, mm. um, 
So I don't know if I could call them like one song, but I, I think about that tradition and the need for me to keep listening to it. Yeah, it's good. I was, I was teaching an embodied prayer class using yoga and prayer and trying to think through how can I make the shape of my body match the prayers of my heart. And so having the music really align with whatever it was that we were experienced was really important to me. So I think I go there first to think through, okay, what songs did I pick from this embodied prayer experience? And Abby Lincoln, Holy Earth, I cannot listen to that without just moving my body and also being thankful and also just being amazed at the bigness of the earth. And so that, that song is very powerful to me. So one time I did one about one embodied prayer class about resistance, and we used Marvin Gaye's um, "What's Going, What's going on? on," and that one I think too because it's it's fun and you know it immediately. So there's not this moment where you're you're automatically resistant to it, but at the same time it's really attacking some really big issues that I think is important. What were you gonna say? Uh, do you know that recording "Holy Earth" mm-hmm. by Abby Lincoln? Mm-hmm. It's so good. In the end, she's like, yeah. <laughs> kind of like squawks. It's, yeah. it's so tremendous. Yes. Uh, when you said that, I thought of her um, piece, Let Up, mm. which makes me think of, again, that blues tradition. Yeah. Um, um, when you were talking about the stuff that people are going through during the week and not having an outlet because they couldn't just blow off steam and go to the, to the club. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not the kind of club that you know, others went to. Uh, they had to. They were relegated to a mm-hmm. place where they could cuss and fuss mm-hmm. uh, and express the pain that they were feeling. And um, it was almost like um, if you take a seltzer bottle and you shake it up, and when you open it, psh, that's their release. Um, and sometimes it was fiery and you know raspy and whatever it needed to be yelling out. But there are people who needed to express that side, like you said, of the emotion before they got to that Sunday morning, mm. you know, prayer and uh, um, or praise. And that that is a needed expression. I don't think that you'll ever have a community where both won't exist because there's a need on the emotional side to talk about what's happening in this yeah. body of mine <laughs> and then speak to what's happening to the mm-hmm. spiritual side, mm-hmm. to the eternal side. But while I'm down here on this earth, let me tell you what I'm feeling. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So Miriam, in the biblical text, Miriam in the story of the Exodus, is the theomusicologist. She's the one with the tambourine. She's the one singing the songs in the middle of the Exodus and ongoing into the wilderness. So who are, in your walks of spaces, who are the people that either secular musical artists or who, who are the theomusicologists of the day? Only because of what I'm witnessing with some of the young people today. This is not what I'm observing that seems to be resonating. Mm-hmm. As that uh, Kendrick Lamar seems to be like, whoa! Yeah. That's what I'm seeing in some of the young people that I work with. Mm-hmm. Because he's saying something He's saying something. Right. <laughs> saying well, something. Right. vegetables, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Vegetables. <laughs> so, um, 
So, but for me, what would that be for me? Maybe fortunately and unfortunately, some of these people are still from, from the past mm-hmm. that resonate. Nina Simone, mm-hmm. strongly. Nina Simone had a presence about her that made you think she wasn't even born here uh, in the States. Mm-hmm. As a black person to carry themselves in such a way, she had a, although she had her own issues that were happening with her, there was a sense of self um, and, and a profit that was in her. That was extraordinary. And she didn't care what you thought about it. <laughs> right. Uh, she was from North Regan. Carolina, right? Yeah. 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 Bernice Regan. Bernice Regan. Regan. She, um, she was um, one of the main folks with uh, the Freedom Riders with Sweet Honey in the Rock. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah. Abby Lincoln, like you were saying. Uh, on the newer, in the younger side, more recent rather, who started as as a spoken word artist, and I think that her name even elicits another artist before her is Jill Scott. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking to kind of the realities, you know, um, I I can there are certain things I can't even listen to for Jill Scott because I get a little I get red in the face. <laughs> Because <laughs> she, she, you know, she, she opens some doors and says some things that I'm, I, I, as a singer, I still can't bring myself because there's a discomfort there. She has a freedom in herself like Nina mm. does, but um, uh, there's an energy that she brings um, that's beautiful and strong um, as far as the secular arena. The, the, someone whose toes both, I hear the tradition of the spiritual, but he, he sings in the jazz vein. Gregory Porter. Did you see him when he came to town? I did not, unfortunately. We didn't get to you either. That Gregory Porter. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, he's really tapped into something, hasn't he? You, you hear everything. You hear the history. You hear the heritage. Mm-hmm. But uh, he floats both. You hear blues. You hear jazz. You hear gospel. You hear protest. Mm-hmm. All bound in his voice and his delivery. It's amazing. But Gregory Porter is mm-hmm. a voice out there. I think people need to listen to what's happening. Yeah. Well, that day, the Gregory, were you there for the Myers Park Day of the Gregory Porter song? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lord have mercy on my... I just about melted on the floor oh, with that. It's a, it's a beautiful... It's, that's, um, take Me to the Yeah, Take Me to the Oh, my that, gosh. That's the name of that album. It's, wow. called, it's a beautiful piece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The priest for me is Coltrane. Okay. Yeah. Um, and especially the like the work from like 1963, which is when um, that particular piece called Alabama happens. And he really, at that point, was undergoing this personal transformation. So then, 1964, you get the Love Supreme, and then the more like overtly spiritual kind of stuff. Um, and some of it's not easy to listen to. It's really difficult, and it sounds messy. Um, and so I, I avoided listening to it for a long time, but now I go back and listen to some of those albums pretty frequently. Um, and he uh, he's just tapped into this energy. Um, he said in an interview that uh, he 
that what he really wanted to achieve towards the end of his life, he wanted to become a saint. That was his goal. Which I think I think what he meant in that was about like being purified, right? Just be being single mindedly focused on this quest that he was on. Um, and he did it, right? And he did. In his own way, well, there sure. was the whole church. Sure, there was. there was the church of St. John, St. John, Will, I, Am, Coltrane, the African Orthodox Church in San Francisco, uh, which is an amazing experience. Also a North Carolinian, just want to say That's that. That's right. Uh-huh. So North Carolinian. <laughs> um, so, so Coltrane is the, is the priest. But the first thing that came to mind, as, as Don said for me, was Nina Simone as well. She just, she preaches through her voice. She's not preachy, she's never preachy. But her, her self-possession, you know, she, she just, um, she owns what she has to say. She does it in the most profound way. And also a brilliant musician, you know, in, in terms of like the technical aspect of the music as well. So. Those are old folks and new folks. I don't even know who I'd call on. <laughs> I don't listen to very much mm-hmm. of the new stuff. India Irene, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. a little bit, uh, has some stuff out there. But I think, I think that what I'm hearing from India is her being steeped in a lot of Stevie. Mm-hmm. I mean, Stevie wonders another, but yeah, I'm hearing a lot of him and her. Mm-hmm. You know. You know, for those who are trying, looking for, aiming for the common good, living into that way, are there words of wisdom or uh, things that you want them to hear from you? So Jonathan Wilson Hargrove, uh, I've heard him say a few times that regardless of what happens with the Poor People's Campaign, if nothing else, we're going to learn to sing together. (laughs) And I just think that that's a really important... Like our our spirituality is built around songs that we learn to sing together, and so the like some of the most beloved passages of the of the New Testament, uh, like Paul's Christ hymn and Philippians two about um, Jesus came um, n- not as a not to to be powerful right but instead as a servant to all right humbling himself that's it's an old hymn it's a first one of the first hymns of the church that he's quoting there so so like we have this tradition that has been formed by people singing together so if we're going to do anything to build the common good we've got to start by learning how to sing together to unite our voices there are many who may listen to this and um, spiritual things mean nothing to them. And that's just the way of our world. But if you want to understand the science mm. <laughs> of it, it has been said that even singing together brings, it's been studied, a sense of well-being that when you're singing together, all of a sudden the breathing pattern and the heart rates begin to match simultaneously just by singing together. So when you think about why songs of protest were so powerful, why some of these spirituals, and even if you're not a spiritual person, but you love Amazing Grace, why that is so powerful, 
when it's sung together, that all of these things happen in the body, that when you finish singing together, just think of anything you've gone, if you've gone to the, a great concert that you love, the sense of euphoria that you feel when you've experienced that sound of coming together by opening your mouths and uniting in that way, it's a powerful thing. And there's something to be said for it. So by all means, yeah, let's sing together. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get our book. Hold on, let's pull out a song. What are we going to sing? <laughs> so my pick something good. Those, the songs in that book are in the back. Okay. And they're just like quick one-liners. Okay. What you say, Greg? Guide my feet, Lord, while I run this race. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> you start us at the dawn. You're the singer. <laughs> Sing, singer. <Yeah. laughs> Let me see. Did you have it in yeah. in, in uh, I just slipped right past it. Did you really? You know, you know the one I'm talking about. Is that right? Mm-hmm. 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 As we say, mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> I'm into it. I think I found it. Got my feet. Got my feet, Lord, while I run this race. Family Tree families are hitting the road. We're taking folks as close as Cramerton, Salisbury, and Boone, and as far as Folly Beach, Washington, D.C., and Chicago. Our upcoming adventures will include explorations of new places, connection to new people and partners, and learning a lot about history, creation, and each other along the way. Our plans span a lot of miles, and we could use your support. Would you commit to sponsoring a mile for $20? Even better, maybe you could get 20 of your friends to each sponsor a mile for $20. 
Every little bit helps. Go now to qcfamilytree.org donate and help us get on the road. I've been to Reno, Chicago, Fargo, Minnesota, Buffalo, Toronto, Winslow, Sarasota, Wichita, Tulsa, Ottawa, Oklahoma, Tampa, Panama, Mattawa, La Paloma, Bangor, Baltimore, Salvador, Amarillo, Tocopilla, Barranquilla, and Padilla. I'm a killer. I've been everywhere, man. When it rains five days.